0: When we're talking particularly about business, it is about building a brand for the long term. And so I think it is problematic when people underestimate the value of long-form content. Social channels and their popularity come and go. Algorithms change all the time. But if you are creating substantive long-form content, whether it's books, whether it is blog posts, whether it is really in-depth videos or podcasts or things like that, that can live on multiple channels. This is something that is a real contribution. When you do it, it sets you apart and it really demonstrates your expertise, which is what helps keep you fresh and valuable over time.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Inside Influence. My name is Julie Masters and in this episode, as in every episode, we are going to delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or one in particular to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now over the course of the Inside Influence podcast, my intention and the team's intention has always been to bring you some of the brightest minds in the world of influence. However, every now and again, we come across a person who is just the embodiment of what this podcast is about, a person who can, in every sense of the word, claim mastery as an influencer of influencers. Now, as some of you might know, I've spent the last few weeks bunkered up in my house with my newborn son, who's currently eight weeks old. And one of the challenges of committing to consistency with anything, podcast, articles, um, you name it, is that when life takes over as it does occasionally, you need some support. So while I've been on maternity leave, the Inside Influence crew took over and they went out to our listenership and created a list of some of the hottest questions that you have on the topic of influence itself. Now, when they showed me this list, I knew there was only one person. I would go to to answer all of these questions or the vast majority of these questions because we we couldn't get to all of them and that person is the incredible Dory Clark for our regular listeners you would be aware of Dory's influence genius however for those of you who have not heard of Dory, which if you haven't heard of Dory, just wait fear not she is about to become your number one guru in the art of standing out as a global authority in your space. And if you need more than just my word, I can't believe you would, but just in case you do, Doria is in fact the author of the groundbreaking book, Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine, one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes, not to mention a Washington Post bestseller. The New York Times has described her as an expert at self-reinvention. Now, Daria has also just recently published a new book, Entrepreneurial You, which I would urge you to go out and get. Now, believe me, in all in all my years of working in this field, it's it's rare that anyone actually talks about the grassroots tactics of what it takes to build a business as an influencer. There's a lot of talk about being an influencer, but very few people are able to break it down in a proven methodology and deliver that in a clear and compelling way. And Dory is one of those people. you creating influence is one thing, but turning it into income, believe me, is a whole other thing. Some of the questions we explored include how to identify trends and distill your breakthrough idea, how to turn your influence into income. Again, this is where most people, even some, I would say, maybe even most of the well-known or famous people you know often get stuck. You can't pay your mortgage with likes, or at least that's what my accountant tells me. How to get influence cut through as quickly as possible, i.e. traction. Proven methods to identify your niche add real value and then amplify your impact. The common mistakes that industry influencers make in the early days and we all make them. But how to avoid the main ones? You will make some, just avoid the main ones. Plus just a ton more. This this episode goes pretty hard and fast. It's a quick one. Dory takes the questions that we have given her and she just dives straight in in her typical no-nonsense straight to the value style. None of the usual rambles or segues from me. This is the first and last time you will hear from me in this episode. However, for those of you who missed Dory's original Our Long Inside Influence episode, don't worry. We will also be re-releasing, I can't even say it, re-releasing the original interview called From Influence to Income, this time next week as an added bonus. So pop that in your calendar. If you did catch it the first time around and you haven't yet managed to implement the ton of gold she delivered, I dare you to implement the ton of gold she delivered, then it's also definitely worth a refresh. Enough from me. Enjoy, kick back and soak up an incredibly rare opportunity to get some one-on-one wisdom from the amazing Dori Clark.
0: Hey Jules Story Clark, thanks so much for inviting me to dive in with these juicy questions. Let me go ahead and uh, just go ahead and get started. So, number one, what methods have you found most effective when it comes to identifying trends and developing your breakthrough idea? Well, I think that many people have a misconception that they have to figure out their breakthrough idea out of whole cloth. That somehow they they don't know, they don't know, they don't know. And then all of a sudden it comes to them in one vision, like the heavens are whispering to them. And I think that that is a a dangerous view, although that's how the, the cultural conversation often goes, because we assume that these little sort of glimmers or these dribs and drabs of ideas that we have that are not really fully formed, we look at that and assume, well, you know, that can't be it. That's obviously not enough. And we overlook some really good potential. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. There's a book called Where Good Ideas Come From by Stephen Johnson, where he talks about how literally for years, Charles Darwin was circling around the theory of evolution And you can tell this by his journals. He was writing these sort of fragmentary ideas in his journals. And we look back now and we say, oh, my God, you almost had it. (laughs) But it it just took a while for it to cohere in his mind. And I think similarly, it's like that for a lot of us. And we have to be gentle with ourselves through that process. So how do you find your breakthrough idea? I think that in a lot of ways, it is about a curiosity around a given topic and you start reading about it you start talking to people about it you start coming up with ideas that you know probably are not that great or that original but you keep going and it's it's through the process of immersing yourself in a given world that you over time begin eventually to discover where the holes are and where you can make a contribution. So how do you find your breakthrough idea? I think it, it really starts by reading a lot and asking a lot of questions uh, around the topic area that you care about And over time, you will figure out what your unique perspective is, but not at first. Uh, So number two, what are the different revenue streams an influencer can tap into? Are there any that make sense to aim for first? Uh, My short answer is yes. One of the things that I recommend in my book, Entrepreneurial You, is that I am actually a pretty big fan of having people start by offering consulting or coaching services. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one is, of course, there's no startup costs, right? Uh, unlike, cre- you know, creating an online course or, uh, you know, hosting an event where, you know, oh, my God, you have to, like, do room rental fees or things like that. Coaching or consulting, it, it, it's it's free, basically. I mean, in, in the very beginning, you don't even have to have a website. All you need to be able to do is uh, is just offer Meetings or web calls or something with people. So that's one advantage. But another advantage is that if you're working one on one and in depth with people, it really centers you in their world. You begin to understand how they talk about issues, what concerns they have. You get very close to the customer. Whereas if you're trying to have a big event or you're trying to sell a course to bazillions of people, you are not necessarily close enough to the customer to really understand it and see it in such a visceral way. Um, And then the the last thing is that you don't, if you're starting with coaching or consulting, you don't actually have to have that big of a brand in order to do it. Um, You know, it it, it takes a lot of publicity or awareness or something, you know, even paid advertising, uh, so money, to get people to come out to an event, let's say. But when it comes to coaching or consulting, all you need is one sale or at least a few sales. And you can often gin that up through referrals and through people that either know you or know of you. So it's often a very good starting place. Number three, how can you make sure anything you do is read or seen by the right people? Do you have any advice on getting cut through with speed? What I would say when it comes to making sure that your Materials are read by the right people. I think there's two ways to define the right people. Uh, one set of right people, which is maybe less glamorous, but probably more useful in an immediate sense, is potential customers, right? Because one of the very first advantages that content creation can give you is that it can speed up the sales process because it makes it easier for a client or potential client that is on the fence to say yes to you because you are eliminating doubt in their mind because you're essentially giving them a, a trial. You're, you're giving them uh, a sort of extra window into how you think about problems or how you might attempt to help them, uh, and they can can read it, they can see it with their own eyes. So it makes it less risky for them to do business with you. So how do you get prospective clients to see your work? Well, one thing is if you've started discussions with somebody, you can certainly send it to them. You can actually say, oh, hey, you know, we were talking last week about XYZ issue. I wrote a piece about it and published it. Here's the link in case it's of interest. That is a very beneficial thing to do. Another thing that is beneficial to do is to identify where groups of your prospective clients congregate, and then make a very concerted effort to start getting published in those, let's say, industry journals, or regional papers, or something like that. But the the way that, that sometimes people mean this question, how do you make sure the right people read it, is, uh, you know, how do you get other influencers, or celebrities, or things like that to read it? And of course, that is much harder. Um, but You know, I would say that one of the best things we can do, and I will turn to this more in subsequent answers to questions, is to think about the frame of social proof, uh, which is a term used in psychology, kind of refers to your credibility that you're amassing. And so one of the very best things that you can do is to write not just for your own blog or your own, you know, do your own podcast or something like that, but to write for a publication that people have already heard. of because their credibility, their pre-existing credibility, kind of translates to you with a halo effect. And so it makes it more likely that people will take you seriously. Number four, you have spoken before about accession ladders. Uh, Can you explain what they are? Do you have any examples of how they can be used effectively? I, I don't use the term accession ladders that often, I think, but what I will talk about uh, frequently which which this refers to is the overall like ladder strategy and basically what this means when people talk about it is the idea of working your way up strategically when it comes to the publications that you write for so if for instance you are trying to Write for increasingly prominent publications, which is a good idea for all of us to do. It is really hard unless you, you know, have a friend or you know who can get you in or something like that. To start out with the most high-profile publication, you typically have to work your way up in some way. Uh, The problem is that a lot of people will get on the first rung and then they'll just stay there. They'll just, you know, sort of expect something magic to happen to get them to the subsequent rungs, and. There's no magic. You have to climb those rungs yourself. And the way that you do it is that once you have written a few pieces, uh, you know, let's call it three to five for a given publication, what you want to do if you are hustling uh, effectively is you want to reach out to the next tier of publications and, uh, and, and pitch them with a warm intro if you can or if not you can just send them a cold pitch and say hey i've been writing for such and such publication here are my clips you know meaning links to other pieces you've done so they can see how your writing is would you be interested in potentially having me do something for you and you know there's a lot of rejection in this i mean i've gone through this process myself many times but You keep pushing forward with it, and eventually you are able to climb these sequential rungs. So it may start out that you're writing for your local paper or for your company newsletter, but then maybe the next rung is a regional business daily, or it could be uh, an industry newsletter or an association newsletter. Maybe the next rung after that is a re- particularly prestigious industry journal. And you know, maybe the rung after that is a national business or general interest publication. But you keep working your way up incrementally. That's the key with, uh, with the, the latter strategy. So number five, you've also spoken about thinking about scarcity when it comes to identifying your strengths as an influencer. Uh, what is that and why is it important? Well, the, you know, scarcity is an interesting concept because, of course, there's many instances when people talk about scarcity where it's a bad thing, like a scarcity mentality, where you feel like, uh, you know, there's there's only so many good things in the world. And if other people have them, then I can't have them. So, you know, therefore, let's uh, let's let's hoard them, <laughs> which is not really a nice way to be in the world. But. Uh, but the good news is that there there is uh, actually a good use of scarcity scarcity can be a good thing in the sense that um if you have a uh, a talent or a perspective or an ability or something that is rare then other people will value it and and of course that doesn't mean uh you know it's like you know, if it's knowledge or something, you don't want to hoard it. But if you happen to have a skill or a talent that just is rare, you know, uh, then by all means, that is something that you probably should lean into, because it is something that is is likely to be disproportionately valued. Um, Robert Cialdini, uh, who is the great, Author of *Influence: The Psychology of Persuasion*, talked about how scarcity can really motivate people to take action, and certainly it, you know, motivates people to uh, to pay higher prices. Uh, if something's rare, people say, "Oh, you know, you can't get this every day." And so, if you have a, a skill or an ability or a perspective that's rare. Absolutely, um, make make sure you're doing more of it. Uh, make sure you're you're doing that thing because people will probably notice it and say, "Oh wow, you know this is something special let's pay attention." So number six, uh, I have been focusing on creating compelling content, which seems to be going down well with my current audience, but how can I widen my network uh, so the key in widening your network is to think about social proof and writing for other publications. So I'll give you an example. I have a guy that has been with me now for about three and a half years uh, as a coaching client. And he is so smart and so talented. But when we first started working together, and I was doing the kind of analysis or diagnosis of what the current state of his brand was there was a problem you know he was he was frustrated because he was putting out all this great content and all these great ideas but not that many people were seeing it and you know i had to sort of stop him and say well there's a reason for that it's because you're only writing for your own blog and your own newsletter so the people who love you really love you but most of the world just doesn't know who you are so the secret there is to write for outside publications so that new people who have not heard of you uh, will be exposed to your work. And so this is where the power of social proof comes in, because if you are, in fact, writing not just for any outside publication, but ideally for one with a, a brand reputation, A, that redounds to your benefit, and B, their brand is drawing in readers and drawing in eyeballs, and that is helping you build a new audience as well. So number seven, what are some of the roadblocks or common mistakes that people make when trying to stand out as influencers in their space? Well, there's plenty, as you can imagine. Um, One that comes up a lot when we use the term influencer, for sure, is that many people assume that that has to refer specifically to social media. And, you know, there's a lot of sort of silly metrics like Instagram now is, is as we're speaking is kind of the uh, the app du jour and so I think a lot of people uh, especially are using instagram to uh, to measure their worth or other people's worth but you know when we're talking particularly about business, it is about building a brand for the long term and so I think it is problematic when people, Underestimate the value of long form content. I, I am a big partisan of long form because you know, social channels and their popularity come and go. I mean, we all remember there were Vine celebrities a few years ago, that was a pretty big thing, but you know, not so much anymore. Um, algorithms change all the time, but if you are creating substantive long form content whether it's books, whether it is blog posts, whether it is really in-depth videos or podcasts or things like that, that, you know, can live on multiple channels, uh, especially this, is something that is a real contribution, and it won't just be forgotten or swept away with the tide of the the infinite press of new social content. Uh, Most people are not doing long form because, frankly, it just takes more effort. But when you do it, it sets you apart, and it really demonstrates your expertise, not just your celebrity, but your expertise, which is what helps keep you fresh and valuable over time. Uh, so number eight, in the age of the never-ending social media feed, are newsletters still relevant? Have you seen examples where they can drive revenue or achieve a desired outcome? Absolutely. I am I am also a big fan of email newsletters. Now, there's challenges, no doubt. Um, when Google created its promotions folder, uh, that became uh, a liability because many times newsletters would automatically be deposited there, so it's less likely for people to be able to see them. Uh, certainly, there can be deliverability issues that uh, arise if, for instance, uh, not a high enough percentage of your subscribers are opening your e-newsletters. But leaving all that aside, the most important metric is that the average newsletter gets about a 20% open rate, and which is not enormous, you know, clearly. Um, you know, we would the people sending it, we'd like it to be closer to 100%. um, But nonetheless, it is 10x what social media is. And so if you can get people in this extremely busy era, who are willing voluntarily to give you their email address and say, yes, please contact me, please fill my already overflowing inbox, because I think what you have to say is valuable. That is an extraordinary testament. And you can definitely make good sales from that. I mean, for me personally, I have over the past four years really emphasized uh, growing my email list. I, I, I'm going to change it this year. I'm, I'm for the first time going to experiment with uh, targeted um, targeted Facebook or, or Google ads uh, as ways of driving my online course sales, but I, I have not done it heretofore. I have only ever uh, used organic means uh, of selling my courses, so so meaning uh, I have t- most typically, you know, probably 90 to 95 percent, I've sold my courses to my own email subscribers, and maybe five percent I've done with uh, joint venture or affiliate partners, but my the combination of my courses and then ancillary workshops or programs that have kind of spun out of them, over the past three years since 2016 have brought in close to $700,000 for me. So I can, I can say for me personally, this has been a huge income driver and I know certainly it has as well. Um, These are the people who are the most into what you do and they have, uh, they have opted in voluntarily. So it's a really powerful relationship. Now, number nine, uh, when it comes to turning influence into income, what is the most powerful yet underutilized tool? Well, clearly we're just talking about email, so that's a that's a big one. I think that um, one of the the things that is a useful frame I will mention this because it is something that I did early on and it turned out to be rather valuable for years you know, like a lot of people, I had an email newsletter, but i never I never thought about monetizing it um, I never. Really focused on that. It would just be informational updates. But when I did turn my attention to the idea of starting to sell things, instead of immediately creating my own products or services to sell, I mean, like I guess I always had had services. I always did consulting, and then later I added in coaching. But in ter- specifically in terms of like online products or, or things like that, um, I uh, I started to experiment for probably a couple of years pretty actively with affiliate partnerships. And that was actually fantastic because it not only created an income stream in and of itself, because I would get a commission when my folks bought something from the folks that I was promoting, but it enabled me at at scale to see how a large number of people promoted their own work. And I was able to, to really understand the mechanism and the timing and how they spoke about what they did and develop a philosophy for myself about how I wanted to handle it. And that was extremely valuable. So I think as this kind of underutilized uh, resource, I would say uh, joint venture partnerships, uh, not, not even just for the affiliate income, but because it's a great learning tool. Uh, number 10, uh, I find creating valuable content, the easy part, the hard part is getting people to take action, especially financial action. Do you have any advice on this? Well, um, you know, it, it is always a challenge to get anyone to buy anything. I guess that's, you know, sort of it's sort of life and, and sales uh, for us. But I, I think that this is the place... Where I am a huge fan of the lean startup methodology. And in my book, Entrepreneurial You, in fact, I talk about some ways that that was applied by, uh, by a gentleman named Pat Flynn, by a colleague named Danny Eney. Uh, and I, I, I really break down that process because if you are creating something new, You don't want to go too far out on a ledge because it is very easy to waste a lot of time and a lot of money creating something only to discover, oh my gosh, no one wants it. And so Danny, who has created methodology and a course around online course building, he had a pretty powerful lesson that that he learned himself where – a number of years back, his first foray into online course building, he built this whole elaborate course. And indeed, he did it really without any customer research or feedback or whatever. And it, it turned out, in fact, no one wanted it. He sold one copy, which is kind of horrifying. Um, so he vowed he would never do it again and uh, you know make that mistake again. But he was still interested in online courses. And so the next go round, what he decided to do was he created just a sales page. He didn't build the course. He just built a sales page and he said, "Hey, here's the course I'm thinking of creating if we have enough interest. Who would be interested in that?" And he got people not only to raise their hand but also to put money down for it. So he could really tell if they were serious. And uh, and he got enough interest and so he had that very very clear validation. So I think the key is just not getting out too far over your skis and making sure at every step that you are really getting a sense of whether people um, actually want what you are putting forward. And then finally, number 11, what system support or products do you use to make sure you stay consistent in your work as an influencer, especially for those of us who are already busy either in full-time employment or running a company. Um, So in terms of the systems that I use, I mean, there's a lot of ways to answer this. Of course, I, uh, I keep a pretty, a pretty lean business in terms of staffing, I have never had a full time staffer for my company, which I have had for the past 13 years. I've just never been interested in that. Um, right now, I have two part time VAs. Uh, so I have uh, t- together their hours, if you break them up. Uh, come out to about 25 hours a week. So essentially, I have you know, you could call it uh, a half-time person in air quotes, but it's it's two VAs operating independently. Uh, one person helps me with uh, social media exclusively. Another person helps me with kind of miscellaneous admin. And um, you know, I there's apps, of course, that I uh, that I like. I'm a big fan, uh, underappreciated, I think, of uh, TripIt which is great. I do a lot of business travel. And so it keeps everything very organized all in one place. I think that that's really wonderful. And uh, in terms of, of just, you know, staying in touch with people and, and things like that, I, I'm i relatively old school. I mean, I keep a to-do list on a notepad. I know, you know, some people don't like that. Uh, but for me, I just, you know, I write it down, I cross it off. And, and uh, the key for me is something that David Allen talked about, which is that the most important thing is making sure you do not keep miscellaneous obligations or information floating in your head, because you're never going to be able to have mental peace. If your brain keeps being like, I have to remember this, I have to remember this, don't forget, you know, so I, I try to get it all down. And whether you get it down electronically, or you get it down on a piece of paper, or whatever, but you need to have a system for capturing things. And that is uh, what I really try to do. And that's been helpful. So I hope that this is useful. If Folks are interested in more information about uh, building multiple income streams in their business. Uh, I have a free resource, the 88-Question Entrepreneurial Use Self-Assessment. Folks can get that for free at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur. And Jules, it's really fun to answer these great questions, and uh, you take care. Thanks.
1: Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise, or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website, juliemasters.com pop in your email address it is free we will not spam you but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas tools and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work it's called the influencer code it's not long but it is full of value so download it keep it share it juice it for all it is worth I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast. And leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.